it gets easy to get to sections like this in Kings, especially with us last week or the last couple of weeks, really. If we don't hear God speak, we don't really even get to see a, a prophet of God. And, and you begin to wonder, like, where is he? Is he there? What's what's he doing? What's the plan? And, and then like today and like last week, we got Jehu, just one guy. And then today we just got we got one lady. Who just happened to be married to one priest. Who just happened to rescue one child. And I don't know if you catch it because when you really begin to understand what this thing is, is really all about, this, this whole story today keeps in mind that, that it reminds us that God keeps his promise despite human failure. Despite the destruction of a nation, despite the flaws, like Bobby just talked about by, by different man and everything, when we look at the big picture since the beginning in Genesis, we see the promises of God and the theme of the Bible is that God has chosen a family of people that he wants to push through his son, his Messiah, to make himself known for the, for the, the salvation acknowledgement of himself. He takes them to a new land. He saves them. He sends them a deliverer and, and all this great stuff. But these people, kind of like us, they just keep having trouble believing God. They keep having trouble trusting God and, and trusting in his promises. And, and the more we, we doubt and the more we have trouble believing God and the more we have trouble trusting in God's promises, if, if we can't get nothing else from the example they set for us, the lower things begin to get for the people. And the worst things begin to get really at their own hands. And as a result of their disobedience and their unfaithfulness, really what happens when we look at it is God's promise is getting ready to be threatened. But but the title says it only takes one. All it takes is one to keep it going. All it took was one lady to hear one baby crying who happened to be married to that one priest that, that had enough pool to keep everything going where it was supposed to be going and secure enough and then rally the people seven years later. But that one child, that one child was going to be the only lineage in David's bloodline that would be possible for the Messiah to come for God's purpose and his promise to be fulfilled the right way. If that one baby doesn't get saved, I don't know if we understand it when we just read it at surface level. If that one child doesn't get saved, we're not getting the Messiah that we were promised. And if we don't get the Messiah that we're promised, you and I are in a heap of trouble. Right? So that's how vital this, this one child really is. And how awesome it is that God will continue to keep his promise despite all our idiot acting selves. Right? I don't even know that's the right word, but it, but it sounds good, right? Look, look back at verse 1. Jump into this thing. So a mama gets mad because her, her son killed. Well, I, I want to let us make sure that we know from last week, if you wasn't with us, Jehu kills her son because of God's judgment. He, he's one of those casualties. He's one of those that the anointed warrior came in and took care of and did what he was supposed to do and, and, and working this thing out. So, so here's the, the scenario. And in my opinion, it's an absolutely unbelievable one. I closed last week talking about I didn't think there could be anything more evil than Jezebel. I guess I was wrong because her daughter, her grand, yeah, her granddaughter is, 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 is pretty evil when we look at what goes on in this chapter, right? So, so jump in this thing. Here's the situation. Jehu, the anointed warrior, he, he killed uh, Ahaziah. Ahaziah's mama gets mad, of course like all mamas would. And apparently this guy had several sons that would be next in line. So nothing was really, I mean, yeah, you lost a son and sad and, and, and whatnot, but as far as the lineage, the, the, the bloodline that was going to continue to reign, he's got plenty of guys lined up. But selfishness takes over. And before any of them can be crowned, there's the most evil plan devised that I think I've ever read in Scripture. Well, I don't know if you know how true your words were a minute ago. Like if I was writing scripture, 
this story wouldn't be in there. This is messed up stuff, man. This was a grandmama killing all the grandbabies. And I believe because uh, this one guy in a minute, this one baby to save, his mama wasn't there. He had a nurse there. I think she may even be killing her own stepdaughters. I think she's killing everybody that she possibly can just so she can have a seat on the throne. A plan to kill all the heirs just so she can get what she wants. When Head stopped by to change the sign and discovered our flooded building next door, he wrote on there something we said a couple weeks ago, the proof of your desires in your pursuit. Now that, that phrase stayed with me for, for weeks. It's still with me. But the problem is you can let that phrase be for good or you can let that phrase be for bad. The proof of this lady's desires in her pursuit. She is pure evil. And some of us, by the way we pursue our desires, are pure evil. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because also the proof of your desire could be in how much you pursue the love of Christ, how much you pursue his word, and how much you pursue him changing your life so that you can then go out and be his hands and feet and begin to change the world. She's going to kill her own heirs because she desires to be queen, killing off her grandchildren or children and anybody else that would get in the way. Some people are so selfish that they don't care what they have to kill to get what they want to be. Now, if you can't think of nobody right now that applies to, you better think about yourself and make sure it don't apply to you. What are you killing to get what you selfishly want? What you're selfishly ambitious about? Does anybody know any ruthless people? Y'all know some ruthless people? I'm going to keep it real generic for us while we talk about ruthless people, right? Because some of them could be your relatives. Some of them could be old high school rivals. Some of them could be your ex-husband. They could be your current mother-in-law. I don't know. Some of us work with them. Some of us live with them. Some of us gave birth to them. And some of them have to raise them, right? There's ruthless people all over this world. And we look at this this lady right here, who in my opinion is ruthless, and we think about the, the people that we think of when I, when I first said that. They may not be murderers, so to say, as far as killing people, but they sure do try to murder our character. Probably some of the most ruthless thing you can do is destroy somebody's character, right? They may not be thieves, but are they not robbing us of our trust and our confidence in other people? The most heartbreaking thing I think I, I see sometimes on, on a routine basis is somebody who doesn't trust another person because another person had broken that trust. So now you've got a person that's been robbed of being able to trust and confident and find that, that, that secure relationship and other people which God designed us to have. But now you've also got this person now robbing the other person who can't be trusted. And then whoever that may affect and it may trickle on down the down the hill. Don't you dare let somebody's evilness, their ruthlessness, steal that. I know that's a tough thing and it's, it's nearly impossible to overcome. But there's some ruthless people out there, guys. And, and, and what seems to, to happen is they bring out the worst in us. And that's the scary part. We give them the authority to bring out the worst in us. You, you ever thought about how ruthless people brought out the worst in some of God? Did you read my notes in the beginning? Because I'm talking some God-given people like Moses. I would say Moses was a, was a godly man, right? Did the ruthless people not cause him to strike a rock? Did, did, how about Elijah? We just now did him not too long ago, so he should be fresh in your mind. Was he not an awesome, godly man? Did the ruthless people not cause him to pray, Father God, just take my life? How bad do people have to be where, where the most godly man at the time is praying to die? Right? Ruthless people bring out the worst in us. Jesus Christ got so sick of ruthless people that he got angry and threw tables at them. 
You call it what you want to call it. He was mad. He was ruthless. And he chased out money changers. You ever seen like somebody chasing somebody when they get ready to whoop them? Not a whipping, but a whooping. You know what I'm saying? Like some of y'all whip your kids and some of you whoop your kids. And you'll understand the difference when you get to that level. Like just a whipping is here, but a whooping. Some of, well, some of the generation just don't know about it. Some of the older generation, they may know about a whooping. And that's when somebody is chasing you with a leather belt. And when they catch you, God's the only person that can have mercy on you. It says that Jesus threw tables and then made a whip. So he thought about this thing. He braided this thing. This is the first appearance. And then he chased them out of the temple. How much of a whooping did they going to get? You know what I'm saying? They drove, ruthless people drove Jesus to do this, right? They drove, they drove Peter, who the whole church is going to be built on the New Testament, to lay down his religion and deny even knowing Jesus. Ruthless people only have power if you give it to them, though. Okay? Ruthless people, they, they want to destroy you. They want to tear things up. If nothing else, this story ought to remind us of a story that's been going on all throughout Scripture with, with how Satan has been using people to try to eliminate children. And you want to know why some of the biggest things we should be fighting for is abortion and stuff, guys? It's been Satan's plan since the beginning. It's just been covered up with camouflage right now. Right? Ruthless people, they bring out the worst in us. Ruthless people, they kill us. They get on our last nerve. They crawl under our skin. We hate to even hear their voice or see their face. You ever had anybody like that? I want you to picture somebody. You got to get real with this thing, right? Somebody like if you even see their face, like you begin to... You know, just get uneasy and, and maybe ball up a fist or reach for your glove box. I don't know, right? I mean, they, they just, they get you. Or even if you just hear their voice, it drives you nuts. It's people who break up our marriages, who destroy our households, who cause division, who chase pastors out of the pulpit. Ruthless people that Satan's been using since the beginning of time. But, but this story ain't just about one ruthless person. This story's got a couple other ones in it. And it only takes one for the turnaround, right? Now, here's another point just before I jump into it. Not an excuse, but just a realistic point I thought of yesterday when me and Marty were talking while he was doing all the work and I was watching on my new countertop. Parents have the potential to set the course for their children's lives. Write that down. That's a good point, right? You don't have the power, but you have the potential. Parents have the potential to set the course for their children. A mom or a daddy that got an attitude problem, the kid's going to have an attitude problem. Right? Your kid flips out and you want to know why he flips? You want to know why he drives me nuts when he loses a game and acts like a little snob? Because when I lost a game, I acted like a little snob. I actually got that from his mama, but I just wanted to give you all an example. He said, Dad, you play these games? I said, no, I can't play those games because I literally took a Nintendo remote and snapped it in half. I'm serious. I knew there was an anger issue, so I had to stop and stay away from them evil things, right? We have the potential to pass that on to our children, though. How scary is that? How scary is it that that a kid who's never prayed because he's never watched mom and daddy pray? The the, the kid that doesn't know how to open his word and study the word because he never watched mom and daddy do it. That years later, they get married and they think the best way to argue at the house is to throw things at one another and yell at one another because that's the way they watch mom and daddy do it. Now, I'm not making excuses, but realistic is this, that we have the potential to raise our children that way and turn them into monsters. Because that's what they become as monsters. 
Now, if you're thinking, man, that just sounds wrong and I don't like it, we'll do something about it then. Stop being the way you are and change it. You've got the potential right now to lay the groundwork, to even give an example and tell a man, I acted wrong, don't act like me. Let's start over together and getting this thing going the right way and handling it the right way and treating people the right way and doing things the right way. Right? Right? Look, look at this lady's parents. I don't know if you guys even remember Ahab and Jezebel, which ain't been long ago, so I hope you do. Not only were they idol worshippers, but they were so wicked and so evil that when they wanted things they couldn't get, what they do? They killed for it. And what is she doing? She's killing for it. What are the things we're killing to get what we want? It ain't got to be actual murder, guys. Remember Jesus in the New Testament kind of ups that standard? He says you ain't got to kill nobody. You just got to think about that much hate and that much, that much evilness in your heart. Not an excuse, but it's a reality. And I don't know if that means we got to give them a certain amount of grace. I don't know if we just need to beat up their mom and dads or what. But we got to do something. We got to do something, right? Because here's the sad, ugly scene, man. There's so much death. We, we don't get a lot in this. We don't get nothing about her reign, by the way. I don't know if you catch that. She reigned six years. I'll be honest. I didn't even remember that there was a, a queen that ran the kingdom at all. I thought they were all kings. She reigned six years. We hear nothing about it other than this one thing right here that she kills everybody to become the queen. Six years later, she's gone. That's all we get. That's how evil she was. I don't, th- I don't think God even wanted enough recorded about her to give her that authority. Right? But this ugly scene where she's going around killing, I don't know if she was killing herself. I don't know if she had certain hitmen with her. I don't know what the plan was. But I firmly believe that, that this young baby's mama had already been killed. That's why it's just him and a nurse. Have you caught that part in the verse? And there's so much death, so much destruction. And then there's this one cry. Can you picture it? Picture so much death, people hiding, people afraid, people worried, people not having a clue what's going on. And yet there's this one cry from a baby that hadn't been killed yet. Or, or at least a young child. I, I'm not I'm not completely sold out on it being a baby. But a young child at least, right? One that still needed a nurse to take care of. Some of y'all thinking, well, my husband's 40 and he still needs a nurse. Yes, I understand too. But. Verse 2, it says that Jehoshiba was a was King Jehoram's daughter and Hezekiah's sister. Man, you want to talk about having some family drama? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you think your family got some stuff going on? You ain't got nothing on characters in Scripture, right? So so this is some messed up scene from the very beginning right now, right? She 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 secretly rescues Joash's son uh, of Ahaziah from among the king's sons who were being killed and put him in one, put him in one of the nurse in a bedroom. Now, when you study that in Hebrew, this ain't, they're just not hiding him under the bed, okay? The he, Hebrew for, for bedroom turns into bed chamber, which then actually turns into like a storage room. So this is a room that they would have stored like the extra beds for people who guests were coming over or, or whatnot. But she's, she's hidden them so well that evidently they don't get found. We know this because eventually, a couple of verses later, what happens? They make it to the, to the temple and everything's right. But the point is there's this one person Who's willing to hear the cry and who's willing to help? I wonder how many times we've heard a cry but weren't willing to help. Huh? Or how many times we heard a cry and wanted to help but chose not to? This child would have been destroyed. It would have never reached its potential, its purpose, its position, or its promise had there not been willing one lady 
to hear the cry and not ignore it, but to turn around and go back for it. This The sister of, of the king, the Aunt Joash, I guess you could call her, right? She's the stepdaughter of the lady who's doing all the killing, by the way. You thought you had an evil stepmom at one time, right? This stepmama's running around killing everybody. And then in Chronicles, it tells us, and we get a hint at it right here, but in Chronicles, it tells us that this was the wife of, of, of the priest. Now, that's going to mean something in a minute, right? But before we get to that, I, I got to ask you this. Because this is what I wrote down in my very first question I asked myself this week. What can God do through you? What can God do through you? This is a lady who she's really got no power, no authority. She's a preacher's wife. Not going to law school. Right. Literally, that's it. That's just that's just her title. That's what she's going to be known for forever and nothing more, nothing less. Just 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 did. And yet here we are thousands of years later reading and writing and getting. I, I want her T-shirt now. You know, we talked about Jehu being an anointed warrior last week, and I want that T-shirt too. So we really just need to get a bunch of T-shirts going. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, just get them rolling and printing out the press on, on all these different ones. Because we got a Jehu anointed warrior shirt. Maybe then on the back of it, I, I can get this lady, and, and, and I don't know what she's doing, but like she's in, a, in an incognito ninja suit, right? Sneaking away with a baby and, and, and hiding the baby and saving him. Like, this, this is awesome. What can God do through you, and then I'd add to it, in the face of fear? How, how afraid did she have to be at this moment? I don't know how long this lady was her stepmama, but if she's this evil now, how evil had she been raising this lady up? How much had she beat on her and talked her down and, and just been a jerk to her, right? So she'd already established. It's one thing when you're fighting somebody you don't know, but it's another thing when you're fighting somebody who's already put fear inside of you. That's what's so scary for believers when they let the devil scare them once. It's easier to let them scare them the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time, and then on so, right? In the face of fear and uncertainty, here's what happens. Though. We often stop short of our pursuit of our purpose. I don't even know if this lady knew what her purpose was. Right? Now understand, there's a difference between purpose and potential. She doesn't have a lot of potential. She's just a stepdaughter. She's just married to the priest. Right? But she's got just enough potential to fulfill her purpose. And her purpose was to save this baby. Her purpose was to take that potential of having that motherly instinct to hear that cry, that scream for help, and to know I can't walk away while there's a child screaming for help. I'm going to go back. Right? How do we overcome what's holding us back? How do we fight past our fears and harness that potential that God's put inside of us? Right? Here's the truth. The pain of falling short is nothing compared to the pain of stopping short. Think about it. Think about it. failure hurts for what? A minute? Maybe two minutes? Maybe the whole day? But regret? I don't know if you've ever regretted something. Regret lasts a lifetime. You ever played years later the what if game? Huh? There's things in my life, I'm thinking 20 years back, what if? What could have? How could have? How should I have? Regret, regret lasts a lifetime. I would much rather have the failure and the pain for that minute, hour, or day than to regret something forever. Right? And, and here's the thing that comes to my mind, guys, and, I, and I've kind of hinted at this with our boys before. Like you rob yourself of opportunity, but you're not only robbing yourself of opportunity, you rob God of opportunity. 
it's one thing to steal from yourself. It's one thing to, to, to stop yourself from getting where you could have been. It's one thing from stopping being the godly man or the godly woman that God wanted you to be. It's one thing from being that example of the mama, the daddy, the husband, the wife that he set up for you to be. It's one thing to stop from being the teacher, the instructor, the, the, the lesson goer, whatever it is, you know, the passionate person. And robbing yourself of that. But if God set you up and gave you the opportunity and planned it all out, but yet somehow in that weird, twisted way that we fully don't understand, you also had the free will not to do it. Are you not robbing God of some of the greatest potential of your lifetime? Which then could lead to some of the greatest purpose of your lifetime? Which then could lead to the greatest power of your lifetime? Which then could lead to the greatest promise of your lifetime? Right? How many people didn't you witness to that you should have? Could have became awesome you only had to save one for it to be a big difference. Yeah, 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 you ever heard Billy Graham just talking? He was the only one that got saved that night, right? That one guy. But I, I think he did a little bit of work on getting a couple other people saved later on in life. Right? And I think he did a, did a whole lot of work in North Carolina. Right? But just, just one. The power of that, that one that's willing to do it. What, what, what if God had happiness for you right around the corner? Like you're just a stick in the mud. Because you're missing that one opportunity that you chose not to take that God already had for you. That one someone, that one something, that one job opportunity, that one, that, that one. Just that one. It's all I would have took. No, instead you'd rather lay down at night and wonder if you did all you could. Instead you'd rather lay down at, at night and doubt and wonder and play the what if game. Instead you'd rather just not. That's scary, man. What if this lady had chose to not? What if Satan would have won right here and God's plan would have been destroyed right there? The potential was there. Now, potential is limited, too, because your potential is relative to your purpose, right? You're judging yourself sometimes over a potential that you haven't reached because you're judging yourself against a purpose that's not yours. Think about it. She knew she had to steal the nurse and protect her, too, right? Or if it was a male nurse, whatever, I don't care, right? I think at this time they were all female, but it don't matter to me. Right? But, but think about it. She knew that. She, she may, I don't know if she had any kids. I don't know if she had that opportunity. I, I don't know what, but she knew she had to rescue the child and, and, and the child's caretaker. You gotta come to, it's one thing to hide a baby, but it's another thing when you got to hide a full grown adult, ain't it? Y'all ever play hide and seek with your kids now? I can't hide in some of the places I used to hide anymore. Right? Like, I'm in some pretty obvious spots now, and that's why I lose so often, I guess, right? But think about it. She, she knows her, her, she, she, she at least had an idea of her potential and her purpose could only go this far, so she had to get the, the next one. But she didn't judge herself on it. She didn't think less of herself on it, right? What is your purpose? What cries? And here's how you determine that sometimes. The cries that God allows you to hear. You ever notice some people be passionate about something you're not passionate about? That's okay. That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. Let that be. Because God's allowed that person to hear cries they needed to hear so they could do something about it. And God lets you hear cries that you need to do something about. Right? Sometimes we get a a little revelation of of something that's going on in somebody's life that nobody else knows about. God does that with purpose. So that you can fulfill your potential for reaching that person. Right? And then you can fulfill your purpose. Right? So, so, so look at it. She hears these cries. Maybe you could ask it this way. This is the way I wrote it down after I was asking, what can God do through you? 
What cries do I hear? What cries do I hear? You know, just because it relates so well, like the, the Low Country Pregnancy Banquet is Thursday. This year they've already said, you know, you can only have six people where they normally had eight to twelve. Sometimes we cheated extra seats, normally just ten at each table. Now, there's no need to sugarcoat it. That's a fundraising event, okay? They want you to come and bring your checkbook. Right? And you can get all upset about it and you think, man, that's horrible. You you ever had to raise money for something? How many of you driving a car here? Go ahead, raise your hand. You drove a car here? Did you have to pay for that? How many of you live in a house? So you had to pay for that. Right? How many of you wearing clothes? Thank God. Right? You had to pay for that. Because here's the reality. We get all upset about, and I know we don't pass no offer plate, none of that stuff, but we get all upset when Christian organizations want to do fundraising. We're like, oh, it's all about money. You're right. It is all about money. Because it takes money to do something. But it took the passion of the people who's going to ask for the money to do something first. So, so instantly, my thought this whole thing, since, since COVID had changed it up, and now there's six per table, and it changed the way it's going. I'm like, is that Satan's plan to make them raise less money that's going to put a hindrance on them this year? And then I read a testimony. I don't know, maybe you do one person in the testimony, right? Then I read a testimony about another organization where they had a, a similar thing happen, except for they had to stop the whole event last year. And one person wrote a check that covered everything. And I'm like, all it takes is one person. Now, I don't know if one of y'all got a big old check y'all hide and y'all want me to take with me. I ain't got the big check. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Right? But but if you got it, I'll deliver it for you. You know what I'm saying? But 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 what if? Or, or, or what if this? It, it takes a certain amount of month to operate stuff, right? I, I'll never forget how the Peels gave that illustration when they were, were uh, planning their trip to, to Puerto Rico and everything. And they broke it down. And I had to get on get on Dano way before they even presented stuff. And I was like, man, I, I need a breakdown of how this thing works. Like, I, I'm a money guy, so, so I like it. But but I need a breakdown so I can see it. I, w- I want to make sure, like, I understand what, what's happening. And he put these little dots. I don't know if y'all remember that. I don't know, three years ago now, probably, maybe longer than that. And he had these dots about how many people at $25 a month needed to give and how many people at $50 a month and, and, and so forth. And it's a whole other thing when you see your dot on the screen and you realize even at the $25 level or $20 level, whatever it was, I don't remember. Even at that level, your dot matters. Your dot matters. I mean, that's vital, man. Right? What, what if the last little bit you could give was what was going to pay the electric bill next month? We're going to have a high electric bill, by the way, if you ain't thought about it. You ever thought about that? A water pump running all night long, all day long. And then heaters and humidifiers, there's like 80 of them next door, running nonstop. We're going to have a heck of an electric bill, right? So maybe you do need to write the check. I don't know. (laughs) Who's going to see the condition? Who's going to hear the cries? More importantly is this, guys. Who's going to respond? It's one thing to hear a cry. It's one thing to recognize a need. The question is, who's going to respond? I, I think believers ought to be like Jehoshiba. Our church needs to have the kind of heart that she had. One, one that's willing to rescue those that are perishing with that hope. Just look at this lady with me. We, we, we're just going to look at two characters through this whole thing. And I think we're still on verse 2. So you're all right. You, I don't even have a watch on, so y'all really all right, right? She, she, she's a woman of courage. And what I mean by that is this. She had to put herself at risk. If you're not willing to put yourself at risk for somebody else, you're not willing to go to the next level with them. Are you not willing to get them to the next level? Right? As evil as her stepmama was, she wouldn't have hesitated to kill her stepdaughter either. Right? 
just because there was no bloodline, she'd still eliminated her, right? The church desperately needs people of courage that are unafraid to get involved. I, I thought about, I hate to get off on some tangents, man, but, but watching that wedding yesterday and, and watching Mr. Jimmy get up and, and, and give that, that speech to, to Kenny to, to kind of, well, he was going to threaten him and then he chickened out and started crying like a little girl, so I hope you're watching online, right? It, but, but, but I watched that and it, it kind of got me thinking and I was like, man, what, what kind of guy like visual needs should I be looking for? And then I, then I tried to just go on, on a spiritual level. You know, it's easy. I want, I want a strong guy because he better be able to protect her. I want a, I want a hard worker because she's going to need some money to, to buy whatever, right? And, 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 and it keep going. Then I started thinking about like, like just spiritually. I, I want her to find a guy like when she's 40 or 50 now, not like anytime soon, right? When she's 40 or 50, I want her to find a guy who like breaks out in worship. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause if he's willing to worship out loud in front of people, he's going to be all right. If he can't worship in a group, he ain't worshiping alone either. Right? So that's what, that's what kind of got me out there. I, I, I want to find a guy who can pray out loud when he's asked to pray. Not gets choked up. You know why? Cause if you're not willing to pray out loud, how are you going to be willing to witness out loud? And don't give me the, oh, I can't pray as good as you and it ain't as smooth as you. I ain't never read a verse that said God's looking for a good smooth prayer. Matter of fact, the verses that's recorded in Scripture, by the way, they're some of the worst prayers I think I've ever read. But just being honest, there's a guy who runs up to Jesus when his, when his kid's dead, and he said, Father God, I know you got power, but I just don't believe it, so help me out. I'm thinking, like, if I'm God, like, why would I want that guy to pray to me that way? Like, you just came up confessing, and then I'm like, God wants the truth. There's a guy on the cross that's hanging by him, right? And all he says is, what, can you remember me? You know, Jesus could have looked at him like some of us probably think. And we're like, you done lived your whole life like a little scoundrel. And now you want me to remember you? But no, Jesus says today, because of your heart condition, because I see what's really going on on the inside. Today, you will be with me. Right. And from here on out, then that means you will be with me. Because he also talks about that grip he's got on us. Right. I mean, there's horrible prayers in Scripture when you really think about it. So don't, don't tell me you can't pray good because God ain't looking for a good prayer. He's looking for an honest prayer. He's looking for a person who's just going to kill it like it is. To lay it out. You ever heard children pray? Some of the best prayers I ever heard about children. They can't say half the words right. The sentences ain't complete. Half the stuff don't make sense. But it's the most genuine real prayer you'll ever get. I've seen more miracles off of, off of some of the things our kids have said in prayer than I've seen off my own. And I fully believe it's because when they said it, they believed it 100% no doubt. I don't say like there wasn't no, what, what nothing that was going to shake them even if it didn't work out. Like they was going to be okay with it, right? Man, where am I at? That's courage still. All right, compassion. She's a woman of compassion. She could not hear and, and she could not bear the thought of seeing another child disturbed, destroyed. So, so she had compassion. Now, I wrote it down this way, still thinking about the banquet and stuff going on with the world and, and, and abortion and everything. Uh, do we have a burden for children? But then I start thinking about a condition that's even worse. It's not just a burden for, for, for the unborn. It's a burden for these kids that get born into crappy homes and mom and daddy don't do a good job. Or mom and daddy leave. Or they ain't got no mom and daddy no more, but they, they, they done been brought into earth. They could have the attitude, I didn't ask to be here. Or somebody could step up to the plate and be willing to reach out to them and love on them and get them back right. And so this ain't the way the world has to be. This is the way evil is. Now let me show you what God can be. Or more, or more than that, how about a burden for the lost? Go and read Romans chapter 9. When you read Romans chapter 9, I think it's just the first three or five verses somewhere in there. It, 
it paints a picture that he don't care how good you can evangelize. He don't care how passionate you are. What he cares about is your burden for them. Now, that changes the level when it becomes a burden, right? Because you can preach all day long and you can be a good evangelist or you can be a good teacher, a good discipler. But if you ain't got a burden for the person you're teaching. You're missing it. Huh? Man, we, we, we ought to be. It, it, it ain't just, well, I learned the Romans road so I can walk it through. We ought to be in front of them waving our hands like crazy. Right? Should have got your daughter to bring her little airplane. What's the proper things called? I don't even know. Do you know? Want, that's it? They're just called wands? Now she sounds like a ballerina. She's not going to like that as a Marine. You know what I'm saying? Right? But we, we could have got her to bring those wands with lights and lightsabers coming off of them. We're going to soup them up a little bit, right? And be flashing people down and telling them, this is the way. But instead, we content to just let somebody else do it, right? What if she'd have been content to let somebody else get the baby? There wasn't nobody else. Half the things you're not willing to do, there's nobody else willing to do either. Right? She, she had she had a burden. Where are those who's going to reach out to those? Here's another thing she had. So her compassion has to lead to this. Her compassion leads to conviction. When you get compassion for something, then you get a conviction for it. It didn't matter. It didn't matter who was committing this thing. It was wrong. You ever gotten to a level where it don't matter who's wrong, wrong is wrong? Sometimes that involves having to stand up to your own family members. Hey, you're wrong. Hey, this is what scripture says. Hey, I don't like your opinion on this. I don't like the way you're acting. This ain't the right way to handle it. Some of the toughest people you'll ever stand up to are people you know the darkest secrets about. So you got to do it the right way. But you got to do it. This compassion leads to conviction. It was wrong and something had to be done. Now, now here's what's awesome. So conviction leads to commitment. You get convicted enough about something, you're going to be committed enough about something to pay the price. Look at this. Like she was willing to pay the price to get involved. Right? There's a cost involved with this thing. When you take a baby, there's a cost that gets involved. Right? There, there ain't no Medicare. There ain't no government funding coming. They're not going to mail her a check because this child ain't even supposed to exist. Right? There's a cost. She's going to have to feed this baby for the rest of his life. Right? She's going to have to upbring him. She's going to have to potty. Well, maybe that's what she bought the nurse for is the potty training. Right? But, but there's, there, there's a cost that goes into it. And the problem with some of us is we see all this stuff and we get we get compassionate about it. We get convicted about it, but we're not willing to get committed about it because we're not willing to pay the price about it. Right? It works in every area of our life, guys. You you want to make it to the next level, son? You got to pay the price. Right? Now, we also tell them potential is limited because that's a realistic view. There's no need to downplay that. You know, you're, you're you may not have to go to the next level, but you, you don't you don't use that as an excuse. Could you imagine like if I didn't prepare for a sermon at all? How sad would this be like? Didn't prepare at all, right? Come in here, threw something down, and then it just failed. Nobody's lives changed. Nothing happened. Everybody leaves more mopey than they came in, right? But I could say this. Well, I didn't try, so if I would have tried, it could have been better. What kind of excuse is that? Huh? Well, I didn't try, so next time. No. That was a crappy excuse, man. Like, like, in order to do something, you have to at least try for it, right? To reach people, to see them saved, the commitment, there's got to be a price that's paid. Sometimes churches fail, not because they're not good at evangelists, because they're not willing to pay the price of discipleship. we got to go further and get them to say, I believe there's a God. whoop they freaking do The devil believes that, guys. Right? Go to verse 3, because we're way behind. Right? Be willing to go to distance. That's the lesson. Verse 3. 
Joash was hiding with her in the Lord's temple. What a better place to hide than the church, right? Right, I mean, think about it. He's provided lodging at the house of God. And he's sheltered there for six years. Now, this is also how good it is. This lady is so evil, she never even thinks to look in the house of God. Right? They're not even worried about her coming there. I, th- I think the little boy had free reign all over the temple. Like he was running around, jumping over pews, hanging out, rocking out, you know, chilling out, all that kind of stuff going crazy. They didn't have to worry because evil couldn't come to where he was. And he's there for six years. Can you imagine having to hide somebody for six years? Some of y'all are like, I can't get my kid to be quiet at the wedding for six minutes. Right? <laughs> Some of y'all worry about that kind of stuff. I'm here to tell you, like, it don't matter. It don't matter. Let him be a kid. Right? Look how this thing goes, man. Hiding in the temple, right? But from the very beginning, there's a promise, like, this kid is going to be secure. We keep forgetting about God's original promise. I will keep, what do you say? I will keep the lineage of David alive till it reaches the potential to reign forever. Now, which we know is in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? Satan's always going to try to hinder the promises of God, but we have a God who is faithful and who will bring those promises to surpass, right? Here's the protection, verse four. In the seventh year, in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent commanders of hundreds it's awesome when you think you're all alone and then you got hundreds behind you. You know what I'm saying? Like at this point, he's still been hiding this child. Like he, he hasn't let anybody know because of the danger. If he'd have released who this child was early, there would have been a potential danger. Right? So, so he's been keeping this thing a secret. But when he releases it on the seventh year, there's hundreds of guards and men and people ready. Now, now, I got to finish reading that verse and I want to go into something. He had come to him in the Lord's temple where he made a covenant with them and put them under oath. He showed them the king's son. What you reckon the oath was? This is a bad dude, right? So what do you think the oath was? He's been, he's been preparing to save this kid forever. Like, if you spill the beans, I will kill you. Right? But, but here, here, here it is. Here's the kid. He's been here this whole time, right? I mean, this is just awesome, right? In the 70s, you ever wonder like how he knew when? Like, what? why the seventh year? And I know, symbolism, seven year complete. I don't think that was it. I mean, for symbolism, sure, it's cool. But I don't think like that was God's big highlighted lesson to, to let him out. I think God sometimes cares about our timing of things just as much as he cares about doing the right thing. Because you can do the right thing at the wrong time, <laughs> and it can be really bad. Or you can do the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it can be really drastically bad. Right? Here's what it says. It says that he sent... For the captain. So he's actually got an army ready that, that, that we weren't even sure of. Then he says he did it on the Sabbath. This is verses 4 through 11. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through them a little quicker, right? He says he did it on the Sabbath. Now, here's what's awesome. Because we always think about, like, these soldiers, they just charged and took care of business. No, they used their brains, man. You know, Chuck Norris is cool, but he's got a brain, too. Right? So he's got to think about and develop a plan. He says, you know what, on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath is when they change the guards. And it'd be real easy when they're changing the guards to kind of incognito our ninjas in there. That way they don't even know they're there and to get ready to stage this a coup and get ready for, for things that are going to happen. So he does it on the Sabbath, it says, and he gets this thing going. Then he says, as the same thing is going and they're making this plan, he says he made a covenant with them and he took an oath from him in the house of the Lord. This place is vital, man, right? 
these captains, these bodyguards, these escorts, they had to respond to their responsibility. They got a responsibility. They didn't even know they had a responsibility. It's one thing when you don't know there's a responsibility for you, but it's a whole other level once you find out there's a responsibility you're responsible for. I said all that right. That was pretty good. Huh? And he showed them the king's son. Can you imagine that moment? I don't know if he was like seven or if he was like 17. Because I really, you really don't know how young he was when they, when they took him, okay? Everybody, everybody, everything I read said this kid was six and seven. I, I don't know. Why make it say something they don't say? Right? But anyway, however old he was, don't care. Don't matter. Either way, I'm not, I'm not bound to a 17 year old. I'm not bound to a seven year old. Until I make an oath with the Lord and then I'm about to whoever he tells them to, right? That's where these guys are at. He showed them the king's son, this dramatic moment. Boom, aha. Everything's going crazy, right? This is huge, man. Huge. Because one reason Athaliah was able to reign for six years is because the people didn't know they had an alternative. And I think sometimes many people live under the reign of Satan because they don't know they have an alternative. I didn't know there was something better for me. I didn't know I could change. Right? You say angry all the time because you didn't know there's an option to be happy. You say mopey all the time because you didn't know there was an option to be excited. Right? You say miserable because you didn't know there was an option for excitement. How about it, right? There's a, some, some of y'all right now, but I made that commitment and I promised I'd stay married to him. That didn't mean you had to be miserably committed. You'd be committed to make things right. Change. Right? You're like, well, I've been doing all I can. Well, then you slap them in the head and get them to do all they can too. Right? I mean, sometimes that's just what has to happen, man. 15 through 16. He commands the execution of, uh, of Athalia, right? She's, She's so evil, by the way. Look at how he says it. He goes, you guys are going to kill her, but don't you dare let her even get close to the temple. Like, I don't even want her nasty trash up near the house of God. What if we guarded God's house that way, right? Like, stood outside. Nah, get out of here. Right? Not that'd be kind of weird, but take it for what it is. It's in scripture, right? Verse 17. I want to read all of 17. Is it up there? Then Jehovah made a covenant between Yahweh, the king and the people, that they would be Yahweh's people and another one between the king and the people. Guys, when you've been going the wrong way for so long, sometimes it takes recommitment to get right. Right. A verbal recommitment. It's not just that under understood thing. It's not just this, this, this secret little thing. In the, in the, in the, they, they had a ceremony. They had a ceremony for this. They had a ceremony to re- recommit their covenant with Yahweh. I wonder like what some of them could have been saying. Well, God, I've been screwing it up for a long time. We let the past generation screw it up and, and we didn't do it right. And we gotten off track. But then there's that holy but, right? But we're, we're ready to get back on. I've been letting this issue address me the wrong way, but I'm ready. I'm ready to get back. Every commitment you make is going to require the courage to back it up. Verse 17 means nothing if they don't live out the rest of the verses. It means nothing. Think about it. I told Kenny and Miranda yesterday, like the promises they made with one another mean nothing if they're not willing to live them out. Nothing. I can make you a promise all day long. If I don't mean to fulfill it, it means nothing. Right? It's kind of like the check writing thing. Yeah, I could go write the check to the pregnancy center for a million dollars. But I ain't got a million dollars, so it ain't going to work. Right? You can only promise what you're willing to make happen. True? 
what you actually have. Look at Second uh, Chronicles 23, by the way. Any of you note takers or, or studiers uh, mimics this whole chapter. We get get a lot of the so some of the things I'm filling in that you didn't get in these 20 something verses that head read. I get them from Chronicles 22, 23, and, and a fraction into 24, which we're gonna use at the end. I meant to say that. Apologize. Right. So so he shows his strength. Right. In the seventh year, he executed this plan to bring the king back. He goes out the kingdom. He, he grabs and gathers a bunch of trusted leaders. Notice that he's careful who he goes and gathers. When you read 23, it, it paints it even better, right? So he goes out and seeks out those that he knows is on his side. You don't blast it on Facebook. You don't tweet it. You don't Instagram it. There's no, hey, we're about to have a rally and I'm going to reveal that David's got a bloodline that's still here. Everybody come on over. No, that's how you bring the enemy into your trash, right? He, he seeks out privately the right people who are going to be able to help him fulfill this this mission, this this potential, this promise, right? And again, the timing thing, man. I'm, I'm just I'm stuck on the timing thing because we don't get an answer why it was seven years. Now I get stuck on a lot of things we don't get an answer to, right? He needed he need, maybe it's this. Maybe it doesn't help to have the right courage at the wrong time. Maybe those hundreds of guys weren't ready. Maybe those soldiers weren't you know weren't ready. I don't know what. It, maybe potential's like milk. You understand what I'm saying? If potential is like milk. You can, it does the body good until you leave it on the counter for too long. So then you have wasted potential or potential that makes you sick. Right? It makes sense? So potential can be like milk. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. So timing is everything. You're like, well, how do I know the timing? That's between you and the Lord. You want to highlight an answer you thought it was going to be good? That's it. Pray for discernment. Right? We're talking about something so much bigger than drinking milk, milk guys, or any other drink, right? Maybe we should do more than pray. Maybe we should ask. Maybe we should beg. You ever got to a point where you beg God for something? Maybe like, like God, God, you, do you think God knew children was going to be so whiny? Man, I'm being serious. Be dead serious. Seriously. Do you think he knew that? Trick question. Of course, God knows everything. Right? Do you think maybe he thought when he said, you're going to be like the kid and I'm going to be like daddy, that he kind of wanted us to be a little whiny sometime for the right thing? Now, if your kid's whiny for the wrong thing, you backhand him, right? There's judgment. Right, there's punishment. But what? You you can. You just won't like the consequences that come behind. You definitely can. Right? That's why I can't be there. Right? So, but think about this. Maybe God wanted us to beg a little more. He sure did get excited about a couple people in Scripture to have some good examples that refused to take no for an answer, didn't he? Right? He told no, no, no. Yeah, they kept begging. They kept asking. I can't wait to get to Hezekiah here in like 28 months. When we finally make it to the next section, right? It's the wind that drives most of us nuts. Am I right? It drives us nuts. Because we don't get the no to win, right? But wouldn't you rather wait for the right thing than settle for the wrong thing? Huh? Some of us right now are dealing with consequences because we settled for the wrong thing at the wrong time. Or some of us are dealing with consequences because we rushed something at the wrong time on that end. Right? Consequences of expired milk. You'll throw up. 10 through 11. Back just a, just a fraction because I skipped some. The priest gave to the commanders the hundreds of kings of David's spears and shields. They were in the Lord's temple. The guards still with their weapons. And they, I love this scene, man. If you didn't get excited when, when Head read it the first time and you didn't get excited just now, when we went back to it, you're totally missing it. Second Chronicles 23, if, when you get close to verse 9, somewhere in there, it, it says that these guys didn't have weapons. So could you imagine gathering a bunch of soldiers you got your rally, right? 
You've made your recommitment. You're dedicated to the Lord. You're dedicated to one not one another. It even said that they made a, I think it's still up there, yeah. And, and they made, oh no, that verse is up there. And then they, they, they made a, a commitment to the king. So whether he was 7 or 17, again, I don't care. You made the commitment to him, right? He's like, we're, we're going to charge and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take over. And then you begin to look around. We ain't got no weapons. Where's your sword? Where's your bow and arrow? Where's your pitchfork? Where's your sling? Where's your ammo? Right? You, you begin to look around. There's nothing. Nothing. But scripture tells us where, where were they the whole time? They gathered at the temple. And a long, long, long time ago, way back. Okay, and scripture doesn't look so fancy because these pages are so tiny. But all the way back to here. There's a lot of words in those pages, I promise. We read something that said that David would take the spears and the shields, think Goliath's head and his sword, and he hung them. Where? On the wall. So you're standing around and nobody's armed. And then like, I think, I think the Lord had caused the sun to shine. Now this is a little bit ad lib, okay? Just, I think as the sun shone, it shot through one of them windows. And it caught the edge of one of the shields. And that little glare that comes off of it, like then shot into somebody's eye. And they're like, oh, I can't see because of all the shields and swords all around me. Right? And then somebody said, do you remember when David hung those things on the wall and we wondered why? Do you remember when the past generations started collecting all this stuff and we didn't know why? And then somebody else said, I know why. It was because we were going to get to a moment right now where we couldn't get weapons and we were going to be praying in the temple. We were going to be recommitting our lives to Christ, the Lord Yahweh, and the sun was going to hit one of them and give me the idea to pick up a shield and a sword and go charge. Thank God for generations that have left stuff behind. Right? You know, we pick all the time about past generations not doing enough. What is it that maybe a, a couple generations ago then, because there's a lot of generations that's been left, what about a couple generations ago and all the stuff they left that you haven't picked to use? Right? There's some stuff out there if we grab a hold of it, guys. And my goodness, you and I sure better start hanging stuff on the wall because now we're responsible for it. Because there's going to be future generations after us and a little bit later on that's going to need some stuff to grab a hold of when it's time to battle. God didn't run out there with harps and, 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 and an instrument and play a little tune and sing Kumbaya with these guys. They picked up swords and they picked up shields and they fought. Nowadays it'd be AK-47s. Right? What? What is it that you're not fighting for? And why aren't you willing to fight for it? Right? I don't get it, man, sometimes. Here's the lesson. We're engaged in the battles of life. We got to do things God's methods, God's ways. God's methods, God's ways. The memorials that, that we put up to record God's goodness. That's what David did them for. That's why they were near the temple. They were to, to remind him, like, God did this. It wasn't me. It wasn't how awesome the fighters were. It was God. Right? So the memorials we put up to record God's goodness may be in later years the most useful things in our treasury that we take a hold of to go fight again. So if we put those generation, those trophies up for the next generation, 18 through 21, last section. And the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and they tore it down. I love that one little line, man. Because, because here's what happens. In the last chapter, we had Jehu, right? 
but two chapters ago, nine and ten. He's just tearing everything down. Right? He's the man. He's going crazy. He's on a rampage. Looks like a lunatic. Right? But he's doing it for the Lord. A lunatic for Jesus. How about that? There's another t-shirt. Right? So you got this thing going, but here it says this. So that was the destruction of the temple of Baal in Samaria. That's, that's the last two weeks or last two chapters. Here we're at the temple of Baal in Jerusalem. Things have gotten so evil. Baal now has a temple and God's most holy place. Right? It gets destroyed and it gets destroyed what? By all the people. Do you know what you're capable of when we come together as all the people? Right? We, you can think back to numerous stories in scripture, man. The people were so united and so powerful at one time when they were building this temple, this tower. What did God do? He knocked them down and caused a bunch of different languages, didn't he? He's like, well, you can't be that united. <laughs> right? There's a little more to it, but check it out, right? It shows unity, the strength of it. Right? Your enemy, when, when he killed, look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7. Yahweh will curse the enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will march out against you from one direction. They're united. They're coming for you. You're in trouble when your enemy's united. And God said, the only thing I'm going to do to mess them up is this. I'm going to make them flee against you in seven different directions. What's God saying? God's saying when your enemy comes against you united, they're powerful. They're awesome. But I'm going to drop a bomb on them and cause some division, and you ain't even got nothing to worry about because when they divide it, they just go scatter out themselves. Is that not awesome? Huh? Then there's that there's promise back in 1 Kings chapter 5, which I don't know how many months ago that was, right? But it's a Yahweh my God has now given me rest all around so there's no enemy or crisis. They got to a moment where the people were united and do what they were supposed to be doing. They're finally living in God's promise. And what did that bring them? Rest. How many people would like a little more rest? I'm not talking about more sleep because some of you sleep, but you don't rest. Right? Couldn't, couldn't we use a little more rest? A little more beach time? Right? Yeah, see where I like the rest. Think about it. We could use more of that. And God says, well, if you get all the people together the right way, and you would set up the borders the right way, and you'd be handling things the right way, and if you'd recommit yourself like you, like they're doing right here in these verses, and, and get back all together, maybe a smaller number, sure, but a right number? Don't do no good to have a big crowd if you've got a bunch of wrong people. Huh? You ever seen some of those teams that just got a bunch of ball players, but they all suck? I mean, you run, they run out a little, ripping their little thing away, and they got 50 kids, and they're like, oh man, that looks like a massive force, but all 50 of them suck. No matter how many they had. Right? You gotta have good guys. That's how it goes. And God says, I will give you this rest. Then it goes on to tell us they didn't even stop at destroying the building. They went on to destroy the sacred objects that were dedicated to Baal, and they even killed the priest of Baal himself. These guys is cleaning house, right? They're like excited right there. They're like like Cliff over there. They found the AK and they're ready to go to town. When you're cleaning house, here's the lesson: don't stop short. When you're cleaning house, don't stop short. Here's some ideas we get from Jehodiah. First, you got to determine Jesus is going to be number one. Yahweh, you're going to be number one for him. Yes, I know I'm confusing me. I apologize. Jesus ain't there yet. Well, he is, but that's a whole other sermon too. <laughs> Number one, our social life. Number one, our recreational life. Number one, our finances. All of it. Then in verse 18, as we look at that, it says, uh, all the people of the land went to the temple and they broke it down. Look at every area of your life and see if you'd be happy if Jesus was there. 
Because some of y'all think you can hide some stuff from him. You can hide stuff from visitors when they come over. Like when you come into our house right now, there's a beautiful island. I can't ever talk to y'all enough, right? Just beautiful. I'm getting rid of a couch so that you can see the island better. I'm telling you, that blue couch is finally going. Some of y'all been in the house, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Like the blue couch is gone so that you can see the island. Now that's going to the dump. You come in the back door and we had a couple boxes of Bill's Enterprise gear and shirts and all that kind of stuff. That all went to the bedroom so that the back door is a little cleaner walking in at least. But you ever notice like if you just move junk from one area to another, right? I'm just being honest. My wife's hating this right now. She's like, why are you telling me, right? Like we just got stuff cluttered everywhere. We make it look good where you walk in, but the rest of it, it don't look good. We got children, right? We don't care what you think about their rooms. You know what I'm saying? You stay in the living room where you was invited to come. And you dang sure ain't invited to my bedroom. So however dirty it is, I don't care either. That's my territory. You know what I'm saying? Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah. Huh? Right? But with Jesus, but with Jesus, what if I treated God that way? Father God, I don't want you in my kids' rooms. Whew. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? Man, what if I was telling God, I don't want you in my bedroom? Now, some of y'all get kind of weirded out by that. I'm going tell you right now, like if the Lord is the center, if he's that third strand of your marriage, I don't care if we're talking sexually, emotionally, spiritually, or whatever else. Like, like, like if that's where he's at, everything else is going to work out good in the house. Like he's going to line it up that way, right? Kids will see it. They'll connect. They'll understand. But if there's some division right there, if the, if the division starts in the bedroom, you better believe it's going to run over to the rest of the house. You ain't even going to have a good living room by the end. Because you can't cover up enough. Right? Don't stop short. Clean it out. Number three. I think this is number three. I don't know what number we want. Still verse 18, though. It says they smash the altars and the idols to pieces and they kill the priests. Don't tolerate anything that's taking God's place. Anything. Is that easy? Anything. Get rid of it. If you got to, destroy it. Throw it away. Unplug it. You know what I'm saying? What I'm plugging, right? Get rid of it. I can't stand to hear people whine about you don't understand how hard it is. No, I might not understand your addiction, how hard your addiction is, but understood my addiction, how hard it might have been. Or Joe Blow's addiction, how hard theirs was. Right? But God always has a power button on the remote. Right? He's always got a trash bag you can put it in. He's always got a dumpster you can go drop it in. Right? I don't care what your addiction is. There's ways to get out of it. Maybe you've got to go find hundreds of people to get you out of it. And that's fine. I'd rather win a battle with a hundred than lose it by myself. Or if it comes down to it, I'd rather win it by myself than lose it with a hundred. Works both ways. I just need God's discernment knowing which way to go for each battle. Seriously. One way, it's, it's not a one way all the time kind of thing. And last thing, for this guy at least, and I, I do want to read Chronicles 24 and I promise we're done. Jedi, the priest posted guards at the temple of the Lord. I love this man. I love this. I love this. I love this. So the last part 18. Then Jehodiah, the priest, posted guards at the temple of Yahweh. Here's why I love it. It is not enough for you and I to stop doing evil. We got to start doing something good. Right? We pat ourselves on the back and we clap that we don't cuss no more, that we don't smoke no more, that we don't drink no more. What good are you doing though? Because I ain't read a verse yet that says the point is to get rid of all of it. I read a verse that says you get rid of it and you put back on some new stuff. Some of y'all are afraid to try some new stuff. Remember there was this guy that got some talents 
and, and, and he buried him. Why? Because he said, I was afraid of losing him. You're afraid of something, and your fear stopped you from what? Potential, power, purpose, all of it at the same time. Right? And that's, what he, that's the one guy that got in trouble. Remember? You imagine being the guy who thought you was doing the smartest thing, the safest thing. Sometimes the safest thing ain't the best way to go. Some guys, I think guys looking for us to be a little risky. Huh? What if we get a little risky, man? Not enough to stop doing evil. You got to start doing something positive, right? We got enough nothing going on. Let me look at this last part so we can wrap up. Here, here's, here's a godly example and, and, and a legacy of one. Now, this ain't exactly the sugar-coated legacy you guys are hoping for. You go to 2 Chronicles 24. It's not on there. On the screen. I'm going to start in verse 15. I'm going to read down to 21. It says, now, Jehodiah was old and full of years. 130. That's a long life, right? That's a long life. Could you imagine if God blessed you with a long life like that? But being full of years, check it out how it words it. Full of years. Being full of years isn't the same as being full of God. What if you had 130 years, but you went with the Lord? Huh? 16. He was buried with the kings in the city of David. This is a priest now. They burying the preacher with the kings. Y'all imagine they take my happy butt and bury me with the president? I'm going to kick his butt into the afterlife. But anyway. Why? Because of the good he had done in Israel for the Lord and his temple. It even tells us why. Like he, he made it there and he got to be buried there because of the good he was doing for Yahweh. 17. After the death of Jehodi, the officials of Judah came and they paid homage to the king and he listened to them. They abandoned. Oh, man. If every story in Scripture don't have to have a twist, right? The bad and the good. They abandoned the temple of Yahweh and the God of their fathers. Don't even bother doing a recommitment if you're not willing to stay committed. Right? Because I get sick of verses like this. I get sick of stories like we got going on. And they worship the Asher poles and the idols because of their guilt. God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. He's chasing them with a belt for a whooping. Although Yahweh sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him and they testified against them, they wouldn't listen. Verse 20, it says, Then the spirit of Yahweh came upon Zechariah, who was the son of Jehodiah, the priest that died that did so good and had full years and full of God. And he stood before the people and he said, This is what God says. This is what Yahweh says. Why do you disobey Yahweh's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken Yahweh he has forsaken you. Here's a part I told you you wouldn't like. But they plotted against him, and by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of Yahweh's temple. You can say, Pastor, why in the world is that your, your highlighted ending? Why is that so, so cool? We're talking about leaving a legacy and all this good stuff that, that just happened and was going on. Because for me, and maybe not for you, but for me, I don't care if the whole world Goes to hell in a handbasket. If that boy and the other boy and that beautiful little girl I got stand up for Jesus. And that's where this guy got. This guy, it's, it's uh, could you imagine? I, I don't know how it works when you've been in the grave. Like, I don't know if you can wink up and, and see something or not, but could you imagine this guy? Somebody like, what do you mean sleeping in the grave? There's a whole nother, we got a lot of other studies we can do, right? So, but, but what, what if this guy, like, a son, Doing this. Like how proud would he have been, right? That's the legacy I want to leave, man. 
I want to pass it on to these guys that when the whole football team is being idiots, you don't be an idiot. I want to pass it on to my daughter that like when all the girls around you think they got to act this way and do this way and dress this way, you don't have to act that way and dress this way. I want them to know that despite the whole world rebelling and going against Yahweh, they don't have to. That's a legacy I want to leave. Right? That's what's important to me. I I know it sucks that his son dies and gets stoned even in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. But but I picture him being kind of like Stephen, and I don't know this. I mean, let me get over here. I don't know this. But you remember in, in Scripture when it says when Stephen was stoned, that Paul looked at him. He didn't do the stoning, but he's the one that commanded him. He was sitting in the backyard. You know, we, we know this because Paul writes about it later. And I think this is what started Paul's little conversion. Just a side note for you guys. He saw the real Christian living, right? He's sitting back there, and he looked at me. He said, and when I looked at Stephen, he was smiling and looking up to heaven. That that's the way to go out, right? Like you smiling while, while you're getting pegged with stones and burned alive. I mean, think about that. We look at it and we're like, oh man, that's horrific. That's so bad. But is that not a way to go? Going for the Lord? Right? I, I think this guy was the same way, man. I think he preached his heart out. And we get those little two sentences that he said. And, and just like anything else that sometimes I say that you don't like, you get mad at me. They get mad at him. Thank God y'all don't stone me, or at least not yet. Right. He got so mad at him, though, they said, you know, we're going to stone you right there where you're at. And I think he smiled his way into heaven or into death. God, if God gives me, here's the lessons I grabbed from this section. If God gives me a full complement of years, I want a full, I want a full God. I don't want 130 years if it's going to be 130 years being crappy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one thing to say, Woo, I've been married for 50 years. How good were the 50 years? You know what I'm saying? Like, how good were they? You can celebrate a good 50 years. You can, you can celebrate like a miserable 50 years. Which way is it going to be? Yeah. All right. I, I don't want to be a secret Christian either. Y'all know what secret Christians are. People, you know, you're, like, you're surprised when you come to church and they're there. Right? Like, holy crap, I didn't know they went to church. You know what I'm saying? Like secret. I don't want to be that. I want to honor God, not man. I don't want to measure my success by, by the way of the world. I want to measure my success by how God views my life. I think God viewed this ending as great. Beautiful. I want to leave a legacy for my children. And I want them to have the courage to stand up and do what's right no matter what the cost is. Right? If my, literally, if my family follows Christ, I think, I think I'm blessed and I've done enough. Because then they'll, they'll spread some fire somewhere else. A strong commitment. Demonstrating courage. Developing godly character. God is determined. We get nothing else from this chapter. Please get this. God is determined to keep his promise to us. And he does so through us. Satan did. Satan and man can do whatever they want. But God's going to accomplish his goal. We can stand firm in the promises of God. Because God stands firm in that. And you know, it's crazy. God, God uses some crappy instruments to get his stuff accomplished, doesn't he? You ever think about that? Like the people that he uses, me and you, let's just be honest. Right? Like, like who wakes up in the morning and, and toots their little horn and is like, ah, oh, I'm a great instrument of God. I can't wait to be used. Right? No. In reality, we look in the mirror probably after washing our face and we're like, God, please just help me make it through the day. But the minute you throw Yahweh's name into it, he says, I'm going to do more and get you through the day. I'm going to use you today. Right? One lady saved one baby. One priest protected him for six years and then made a plan to protect him forever. And that one 
led way to the Messiah. If it wasn't for the one, we wouldn't have had the Messiah. What is God calling you to do? What matter this way? Forget what. Well, you got to know what He's calling you to do. What can God count on you to do? What can He count on you to do? I think God's not letting some of us hear the cries because He knows we wouldn't do nothing. And that's a really sad thing for Him to have to think about. I think some of us are hearing cries screaming. And there's potential right in front of you and opportunities right in front of you. And God's just shaking his head like, why? Why aren't you taking it? I, I, I have this great thing for you and you're saying no all the time to it. Why? And if you keep saying no long. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord God. God, I thank you for, for a lady, Lord God, that we don't ever even talk about in church, Lord. I honestly don't know of one time I've ever studied this lady. And I I feel like that's so crummy. Because without her, we wouldn't have had the Messiah. One priest who was willing, Lord God, to follow the, the leadership of his wife. He wasn't even leading at this moment, Lord God. His wife was leading. Which makes me thank you, Lord God, for the wives you put in place for me and a lot of the other men in this room, Lord God, that have wisdom. That will lead us the right way. That will guide us and nudge us. And if it takes a hit over the head with a frying pan, that too. But Lord God, I pray that we will have the courage to trust in your promises, Lord God. And then be the tools, the vessels that you may use, Lord God, to reach out to the cries of this earth. To let them know they don't have to be this way. There is an alternative. And it is you. In your great name we pray. Amen.